Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. As we continue in our series, it's hard to believe we're in week four today. Week four of the series, and that summer is just around the corner. You know, you, if you know what summer is? Have you heard of that thing? And so as we keep going, I want to invite you to, to, to open your Bible, whether it's in your phone, your tablet, or something called paper. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 8. Book of Mark chapter 8. We're looking at Peter. And as we continue in this series called Mark, A Life Turned Upside Down, we're looking today at probably one of the most powerful. I mean, it's all powerful. I say this every week because everything is the most powerful. But we're looking at this whole idea of rejection and acceptance. Rejection and acceptance. And, and the, the word acceptance is a word that I've had to work on a lot because in Canada, we say acceptance. But here, you say it wrong. You say acceptance. So, so I'm working re- really hard on that, okay? Working really hard on that. But we're looking at rejection and acceptance. And we're kicking it off by, as we think about what we're, what we're going to, uh, heading into summer. How many had an incredible summer last year? Your summer was like, man, that was a summer to remember. Uh, my summer was not that great last year. <laughs> I walked through it. Now, the weather was great. The opportunity was great. But when I think about summer, I think about I'm going to do a lot of backpacking. How many backpackers do I have out there? I think about I'm going to do a lot of kayaking. How many kayakers do I have out there? I think about the hiking I'm going to do. I think about swimming. I think about all these things and the fishing. And I did none of it. None of it. And I love it. I have two kayaks. I have like about eight backpacks. I have all the stuff. And last summer, for one reason or another, and just a schedule, got to do very little of it. And I got to, I even dropped people off saying, have a good time hiking. I've got this other thing I've got to do. But this summer is going to be different. How many of you want a different experience this summer? You know why? Because I got a plan. Stephanie and I sat down and said, you know what, we're going to plan it this summer. We're going to plan some things out. So I've got a couple of backpacking trips down there. I've got a kayaking trip. I even got a kayak camping trip planned, which is like a bucket list thing for me that I hope to continue to do. Uh, pray for me that weekend. Um, going out, doing a, just doing a lot of things, going to see some friends, going to see some new parks. But I realized I had to plan it. How many of you realize that if it's going to happen, you got to put it on a calendar, right? you got to put it on a calendar. you got to look at your budget. That's why when someone comes up, instead of saying, hey, let's just get together, I pull up my phone and say, when are we going to meet? When is this going to happen? Because if you don't calendar it, it's not going to happen. So I get this plan together. I get the calendar out. We start writing it in. And then I bring it to my family. And I hope my family is going to be like, yeah, we want to do that. How many of you like it when you bring a plan to somebody and they're like, yes, we're going to do it? Are they with me? Summertime. Let's go hiking right now. We'll just do it on the way. It's incredible. You want them to be excited about it. But this was not the experience that Jesus had in Mark 8. When Jesus brought his plan to the disciples, you remember what they did? They're like, what? <laughs> They're like, Jesus, look, we just saw you walk on water. I joined you for a brief moment. You just fed over 10,000 people. You raised a girl from the dead. You healed the sick. And this is your plan. This is your plan. How could this be your plan? Because when you think about someone like Jesus making a plan and all the power, all the authority that is in him, you're thinking this is going to be an incredible plan. 
See, when Peter was looking at it, he probably had visions of Maui, though he didn't know what it was. But he had what would be for us the equivalent of this vision of Maui, but instead Jesus is saying, I'm bringing you to the Death Valley. No offense to anybody from Death Valley, okay? But how many have been to Maui? How many know that's a little different than Death Valley? Okay? It's a little bit different. Peter was confused. Because when Jesus brought his plan to the disciples, there was this thing called suffering in it, and suffering's a big problem for us. Turn to your neighbor and say, have you ever had suffering in your life? And now turn to them and say, did you enjoy that suffering? Was that fun? Was that great in your life? Were you like, Jesus, please give me more suffering? See, this is a challenge that we have, and this is the, the, the challenge that the disciples have. And even culturally, one of the biggest problems that we have as it relates to God, and as it relates to having an accurate understanding of God, is the problem of pain. C.S. Lewis wrote a landmark book on it, The Problem of Pain, because we struggle with it. Because we think about, God, if you're all-powerful and if you're good, how can there still be suffering in this world? Because if I were God, how many of you ever, ever started a sentence like that by saying, if I were God for a day, I would fix it all. I would change it all. I would remove suffering. And when God doesn't, we struggle. And we say, why? What is happening? See, suffering is our greatest challenges. And one of the challenges that we have with it and our culture has with it is that when we don't deal with this, And when we don't deal with having an accurate view of God, we end up rejecting the one who made us. We end up rejecting the one who loves us. And this becomes our ultimate downfall. So my prayer as we talk about this today, very difficult subject, I want to invite you to reach out and hold on to the hand of Jesus just like I'm doing. Just like the psalmist wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He's got a rod, he's got a staff, he's protecting us. So if you're ready to receive this word that I believe is from the Lord today, would you just lift your palms upward to heaven in the receiving position? Maybe you've got to shake stuff out of them first so you can kind of hear it a little bit. That's what I do every week. Lord, shake it out of me. Anything that's not you, remove it. And then, Lord, as I lift my hands to you, fill it with what you want to put in there. Let me be an empty vessel, a soft heart that you can mold and shape as we receive from you today. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. So let's look at this together. We're looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. It starts off by saying, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. Now think about being one of the disciples, okay? Jesus is coming to you. I must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples... Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Then Jesus turned around and he looked at his disciples and then he reprimanded Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. Some translations say, get thee behind me, Satan. He's saying this to Peter. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, look, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, then you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Pretty strong words in there. Pretty strong words in there. And it all began with this understanding as Jesus began to unfold his plan. And he starts with a plan because we need to have a plan, and he says it right up front because Jesus, he's always honest. Jesus is not a bait-and-switch kind of a person. That's Satan. Jesus gets honest, and he says, look, my plan includes suffering. He says, the Son of Man must suffer very many terrible things. I'm going to be rejected by all the religious leaders, and I must die. This was part of his plan. See, he ends that little section by telling them how it will end, because Jesus also tells us how it will end. He says, look, I'm going to suffer these things. I'm going to be rejected. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. So he tells them how it's going to end, and he gives them the end result. But the disciples, and specifically Peter, he's stuck back on suffering. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 I see it. Okay, you're going to rise from the dead? But what about the suffering part? See, Peter had no problem believing that Jesus could rise from the dead because he'd already proven it. This was not a theory to them. He saw Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. He saw Jesus command the wind and the waves and walking on water. He saw Jesus just take a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and break it and feed everybody. He's like, Jesus, you can do anything, but why suffer? Why do we need to suffer? See, Peter and the disciples, they were stuck in the process Jesus looks at the end goal. He looks like where he's trying to bring us. But, G, but Peter, much like us, we get caught up in the process. How many of you have a bad time with a process that doesn't work for you? I know this is going to a good place, but this process stinketh. This is where they were. See, our, str- our struggle is the same as Peter's. It's not about, Jesus, can you rise from the dead? Our struggle is, why do we need to suffer? Why do we need to suffer? And they struggled, even though this is nothing new for the disciples. The prophets, they wrote about Jesus' suffering, Isaiah and Zechariah. It's in the Psalms. You have this thread, this theme throughout the Old Testament of Jesus as a suffering servant. This is known. But yet, we struggle with it. We struggle with it. So why is the whole idea of Jesus' suffering such a challenge for us? Have you ever struggled with that? Why is Jesus suffering such a challenge for us? It's such a challenge for us because it's my fault. Jesus is suffering because it is my fault. When I think about all the suffering that Jesus did, he's described as the perfect lamb of God. See, lambs were used to sacrifice for the sins of the people. And now Jesus is being described as the innocent lamb of God being led to the slaughter. The prophets wrote about this. And you know why? Because of me. Because of Peter, because of the disciples, because of every human ever born. Jesus has to suffer. And when you really think about it, when you approach it with your brain fully intact, intellectually honest with it, it is an overwhelming burden. The guilt of it is overwhelming. 
The guilt from this is a lot more than just all the cookies I stole from mom's cookie jar growing up, okay? This is guilt more than I can sustain, more than I can hold. And so Peter is dealing with the guilt much like we would. He's dealing with his guilt by trying to take away the need for Jesus to suffer and die. See, suffering is a problem of the plan. You're suffering, you're innocent. Let's take away with that. And that's what we try to do. We try to do the same thing because if I, being the cause of the pain, if I can remove your pain and your suffering that was caused by me, then I can remove my guilt. Have you ever tried to do that before? This happened to me all the time in elementary school, right? I would kick somebody or I'd throw a ball at them in the face accidentally when they weren't looking or whatever, and they start crying, and I go, no, 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 it's okay, you don't need to cry. How many sinners we have like me out there today, okay? It happened a lot, okay? Different things. You push them out of a tree, you push them out of the boat, you, you know. I always had this question in my mind, I wonder what would happen if, Right? They always say what the, that the dying words of a redneck is, watch this. Have you heard that before? Right? So it's going through, what would happen if I did this? And then when my sister would get hurt, my best friend would get hurt, my nieces, my nephews, I hurt everybody. I would say, no, 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 shh, shh, shh. Let's be a little quiet. We don't, you, your pain's not that bad. Why? If I can silence the one that I hurt, I can silence my guilt. If I can silence and minimize it or take it away, Abusers do this all the time to their victim. If they can minimize, I didn't really abuse you, or you deserve it, or I can do whatever it takes to minimize that, you minimize your own guilt, and you minimize the accountability in your life. And we do it all the time. We try to minimize it. Because, see, we have a challenge with suffering and with pain because we love to be comfortable. We love to be comfortable. From the time we're born as a baby, I got my blankie. How many of you still have your baby blankie? Okay. <laughs> Isn't it awesome? I don't have mine because I hurt too many people. They probably burned it. I don't know what happened. But that idea of comfort being wrapped around us because our flesh, what the Bible calls our flesh, our body, that need to be comfortable, this is the voice that's crying out, feed me, comfort me, love me, make me warm. Our flesh is the loudest voice in our life. And most of our efforts in life is to be comfortable. It's to be comfortable. What am I going to eat today? Where we live, the heat that we have, all these things, these are all coming around and and to do that. Mike and I were out uh, riding around yesterday. And as we were riding around, uh, Mike and I, I hope this is okay that I share this. Um, Did you just wake up? No. Um, As we were going through, Mike and I began to notice we're getting a little grumpy. And we're like, why are we grumpy? We had a good day, we had a good run, you know, we're hanging out, we got the tunes going. And we figured out, you know why we were grumpy? We were hungry. We were hungry. We just need some food. And we found some food. We discovered that Fred Meyer is now making fresh sushi. And we went over and said, hey, let's try it out. And we ate it and said, this is good. And we're happy now. We're not hungry anymore. This is good. This is delicious. We found something new. See, we focus on our flesh so many times, so many times, and it affects our emotion. But see, focusing on just the flesh and the body is a very dangerous thing. Paul even said it this way. He said that to set the mind on the flesh is death. Romans 8 talks all about it. 
See, when we focus on just the flesh, it's death because our flesh is temporal. No matter what we do, it's temporal. But our soul, it lasts forever. See, the flesh is temporal, but the soul lasts forever. And while we should be good stewards of the body, we need to take care of it just like everything. Everything around us, everything that we've been given, we're called to be good stewards as followers of Jesus. We take care of it. But our body, it's just temporal. And it's amazing how the most temporal part of us gets the loudest voice. It gets the loudest voice. And when our flesh, when our body becomes uncomfortable, it begins to shout out and it becomes the focus in our life. And when it becomes the focus and our comfort's not going the way this happening, what do we do? We come up with a new plan. How many of you have ever made a new plan in your life? We come up with a new plan. This is not working. So we bring up a new plan. And as it relates to this problem that Jesus is talking about, our new plan is often to ignore sin. Sin's the problem. Sin is why Jesus has to die. Sin is why I feel guilty. So I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to just get rid of it. How many of you have ever ignored your own sin? Okay. Because see, to us, this seems like a win-win scenario. If I can just ignore my sin, Jesus doesn't have to suffer. I don't have to suffer. Nobody has to suffer. And we're all happy. But this is not a win-win scenario. This is a lose-lose. Everybody loses in this scenario. Because sin that is not dealt with, what does it do? It festers. It destroys. It kills us. It's like the first time that you feel a little toothache, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to pack something up there. I'm just not going to chew on that side for a while. Maybe it'll go away. And then it gets stronger. So we start to put some little medicine up there, some over-the-counter stuff. Say, maybe if I just ignore it, I don't have to do it. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, wham, it's alive. It's biting us. It's destroying us until we get it taken care of. See, coming up with a new plan that involves ignoring things will ultimately destroy us. And one of the biggest things that it does is it distorts our view of God, which is our chief problem. A.W. Tozer, chief problem with man is our view of God, how we view God. So Peter walking in this, seeing this, what does Peter do? Remember our scripture? Peter, I got a new plan. And he starts off by rebuking Jesus. Wow. He rebukes Jesus. See, Peter's feeling good. Because if you've been with us, you know that Peter, previous to this, he confessed that Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you are the rock. I'm going to build the church on this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to give you authority so that whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven. Whatever you set free on earth will be set free. And Peter's going, yes! I finally got the right position I deserve. (laughs) You ever felt that? See, first day on any job is always good. You show up, and it's like, hey, here's the snack machine. Here's the pop machine. Here's all the stuff. Here's the keys to your office. He's feeling good. And so Peter thinks that, you know what, I'm going to test this power. And he goes to Jesus, and he reprimands him and says, Jesus, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to suffer in this. See, when suffering doesn't make sense to us, it's no good to us. He's making this new plan. He's saying that, that, you know what? Let me help you, Jesus. You have power. I've got power. 
I've got the power, right? I'm going, I'm just, this can be good. And he tests the power by rebuking Jesus. Because after all, Jesus, you started off by suffering, and if we can avoid suffering and pain, that's a good thing, right? If you can help your children avoid suffering and pain, isn't that a good thing? If you have two paths in front of you, one's very painful, and one's just straight and smooth. There's nothing wrong with choosing the easy path, is there? But see, fighting for our plan, it causes us to move from blaming God to rejecting God. And Peter was right there. Peter was right there, just affirmed who Jesus was. He said, you got power and authority, walking with me, filled with you. And now he's moving to rejecting Jesus' plan, which ultimately ends us with rejecting God. Because, see, here's the big question. Here's the big question, and this question is stated so many ways in our own lives as well as throughout our culture, but the big question is, why would God allow suffering, pain, and death of the innocent? Because I would never do this. And Peter's looking at Jesus saying this. In his heart and his spirit, why would God allow suffering, pain, and death of the innocent? Because if I were God, I would never do it. This brings us back to our original premise. One of the biggest things that we have a challenge with as it relates to God is this whole idea of suffering and pain. And if you want to look for a great book that deals with this, I think Tim Keller lays this out probably one of the best ways in his book, The Reason for God. Just an amazing book. See, Tim Keller lays out this argument. And he says that the argument is, if God exists then there is no way that he can be both good and powerful. If he's a good God, then he wouldn't want suffering. And if he's all-powerful, then he would remove all, all suffering because he has all the power. So this is the question. A good and powerful God, there's no way that they can be both. There's no way that he can be both. Because if he's good... He's not going to want suffering. And if he's powerful, he has the power to remove it. How many of you have heard that question before, brought up in so many ways? How can God be good and powerful? But Tim Keller responds to this challenge by exposing a major flaw in this reasoning. Because in the reasoning of a, a God could not be good and powerful and still allow the suffering of the innocent, There's a hidden premise that says that if evil appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless. So in other words, when there's suffering in the world, if it's pointless to me, then it must be pointless. But Tim Keller goes on to point out that we need to remember that just because we can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen, it doesn't mean there can't be one. See, just because I can't see the purpose, it doesn't mean that it's it's pointless. It's like when you're putting together this this toy for your kid and it has all these parts, and you put together the parts, and you got this pile of parts over here, and you go, well, they must be pointless, and you throw them away. Because you didn't design it. You didn't make it. And then five minutes later, your child's going, why doesn't it work? What happened to all the parts? Oh, I threw them away. Did you read the manual? No, I didn't read the manual. 
And we come to this head where we just keep heading it. It seems pointless, so it must be pointless. And the problem is when we blame God, our view is distorted because in this positioning, we have switched places with God. When things seem pointless to us, and so we say it must be pointless. Now, we've placed our own lives. I've placed myself in the position of judge, and I'm judging God. I don't see the sense in this God, so there must not be any sense to it. And we stop dealing in truth. We stop dealing in truth, and we start saying, it's God's fault, not mine. And we've now rejected the whole idea of God. Have you ever found yourself there? I have. Stephanie and I have gone through pain. We've gone through disappointment. We've gone through infertility. We've gone through physical challenges. We've gone through challenges with those that we love. And we look to God and say, God, we don't understand. We don't know what's going on. But it's important for us when we hit these challenges that we need to recognize that this was not God's original plan, was it? I think sometimes when we show up in a situation, the way that things are, we're like, well, this was plan A. But so many times we are on plan B, we are on plan C, we are way down the road because we need to recognize that this was not God's original plan. That the plan that God is on now, God's on a rescue mission. God is out to rescue us. God is out to redeem us. God is out to save us because we changed the plan long ago. So Jesus, intent on on rescuing us, he responds to Peter by rebuking him, and he looks at Peter, and he goes straight to the source of the problem, and he says, get away from me, Satan. Strong words. But you have to keep in mind that when Jesus deals with something, he's also the great physician, and he goes right to the source. And he doesn't play around. Because, see, Peter is drowning Peter is drowning. He sees the potential because he's a God of grace, and he sees the plan that he has for Peter's life. But now Peter's walking in a different way. Peter is walking in this, and he's recognized that Peter is drowning. And so he reaches out and he says to the very source, get away from me, Satan. He identifies it. See, we need to recognize there are two voices in our lives. They're at the source of everything, there are two voices. There is God, all truth, all good out for our good, out to redeem us, the one who's filled with grace and wants to pull us in. And then there's Satan, who's out to destroy us, who's out to give us half-truths to confuse us. But the whole time that God's trying to pull us out and rescue us, Satan's trying to pull us down to destroy us. And sometimes it can start with a little seed, sometimes it can start with a little bit of doubt, but the whole time he's clawing to pull us under to destroy us. And Jesus, recognizing this, looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. See, in this moment, Peter was using the words of Satan, not God's. Jesus went on to say, you're using human thoughts, not God's thoughts. When we act in this way, we're allowing those words, not of God, but of human thought, to come and to pour through us. See, logic is good. I'm so thankful for men and women that study, and they use logic, and they use reasoning. But we need to understand that there is an end point. Do we have everything figured out? Here's here's the big secret. No. (laughs) Do you have everything figured out? Okay. We don't have everything figured out. 
Logic is good. We worship God with our mind, but that's just one part. It's also by faith that we know God. It's also the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom because we don't know everything, but who does? God. And this is the big fault line for so many people. The recognition that God made everything. When you look at science and you talk to people who are studying science, they're, they're finding out that the more that they see, the smaller that they, that they see, the further back that they can get, the harder it is to deny that there is a God, some kind of God, some kind of deity. God made us. God loves us. He is for us. But we need to recognize we don't know everything. It is still by faith. The only fully... The only one who fully possesses all truth is God. The only one who sees the beginning to the end and everything in between, because he's timeless, is God. He sees everything. But this is our challenge. And so Jesus, looking at Peter, hearing the words of Peter, trying to tempt him to forego suffering, it was only three years ago that Jesus experienced this very same thing with who? With Satan. The temptations in the wilderness. When he's out 40 days in the wilderness, Satan approached him. Jesus was out there fasting, spending time with the Lord. Satan comes up and says, hey, you can turn these rocks into bread. That's a good thing, right? What does Jesus say? We don't live by bread alone. We live by God. Satan walks him down this path, tenting him three times to forgo his suffering. He brings him to the high pinnacle and says, just jump down. The angels will take care of you. You don't need to suffer. He says, you can have everything if you just worship me. You don't need to suffer. It's a lie. And now Peter, his disciple, is saying, you don't need to suffer. We can forego this. That's why Jesus says that we are in this adulterous generation. See, we want the love and the acceptance from God. We want the forgiveness of our sin. We want to belong to the family of God, but we don't want to suffer. We want both. I want it all. I want all the love. I want everything, but I also want to feed my flesh. And we we can't have both. We can't have both. That's why Jesus' response to Peter was the same, and it was a response of rejection. It was a response of rejection. Because, see, Jesus in saying, get thee behind me, Satan, he's rejecting the thing that will destroy us. He's rejecting the thing that will destroy us because here's God's plan. God's master plan is to destroy sin. But he wants to rescue you. He wants to rescue me. See, it would be easy just to destroy everything. We're all done. We're starting over. We're going to scrap this. But because he made you, because he loves you, he wants to rescue you. So he's going to rebuke anything in your life, anything in my life, that comes against this rescue plan, anything that comes against this rescue mission. That's why it's so important that we have the right perspective on suffering. We need to have a right perspective on suffering for ourselves, for those that we love, for our families, for those around us. Because this is where we often get hit. And as we wrap this up this morning, 
I think it's important for us to recognize as we talk about suffering that we need to, first of all, recognize God's motive. God's motive for you is good. God made us, he loves us, and he's reconciling us back. His motive is backed by all of that. And as it relates to suffering, God's not out to bring suffering into your life. Jesus wasn't laying this out because he wanted his disciples to suffer more. This is a rescue mission. This is where sin has brought us. But Jesus has stepped in and said, I'm here to rescue you. I'm going to shoot straight with you. I'm going to reject anything in your life that is out to keep you from me. Because separating from God is a destructive life. But he's out to rescue us. And he will use the suffering for his good. He works all things to the good. He's not bringing it to you. He's just working it out. Think about some of the times in your life when you've suffered and you've walked through the process with God. Did you come through it stronger in your walk with the Lord? I have. We went through eight years of infertility, not knowing why, wanting to have children. And in that time back in the 90s, the news was filled with story after story of teenagers having babies and just throwing them in the dumpster because they didn't want to deal with them. And we're saying, God, you gave them a baby. Why couldn't you give us a baby? Aren't we good enough people for... We, we would love them. We would want to raise them to love you. Those are some painful years. But God kept pointing me to, just trust me. Just trust me. See the end. And then eight years in, we have this beautiful baby that we named Riley. And in that moment, I was like, God, I'm so glad I trusted you. I'm so glad that in my moments of rebuking you, because I had some I had some tough words. (laughs) I'm so glad that you pulled me in and said, Dwayne, those aren't my words. Let me speak to you my words. I'm working it out. And that was just eight years. For some of you, you, you've been walking through decades. I have friends and family who are walking through decades of things, and they're still trusting. They're on their deathbed. But we need to recognize that even when we walk through that valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. I'm trusting your plan. I'm living by faith. You know everything. I don't. You didn't bring me the suffering, but you're going to use it to strengthen me. And you're going to use me to strengthen others and to pull them in. This is what God is doing. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we recognize your presence in this place today with my brothers, my sisters, new friends, and people that are exploring and saying, who is God? Lord, I pray in this moment that you would open our hearts to receive from you. You're our healer. You're the restorer. Open our hearts to receive from you today. We're going to head into a time of of response because every time that the word of the Lord goes forth, it, it demands a response. 
response in some way. In your listening guide, there are several questions. These are just prompts. You may have other questions that you need to process with the Lord, but one of the first ones is, how do I view suffering as it relates to Jesus? And then how am I dealing with my own pain? Lord, is it bringing me closer to you or is it causing me to withdraw from you? I've done both. And I can tell you, as you walk, let me encourage you. Embrace Jesus. The quicker you embrace Jesus, the quicker you begin to move in that walk with him. Sometimes when we suffer, it's hard to hear God's voice. The Lord is speaking to you today. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, soften my heart to hear you. And if you're at a point today where you're, you're filled with a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, a lot of misunderstanding, let me encourage you to bring that to Jesus. He knows it's there, but you need to get it out. Get it all out. And in that moment, say, all right, I get, got it all out. Do you know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to say, now we're ready. Let me bring you in. Let me speak to you. As we respond today, maybe you want to go to the prayer wall and write it out. I want to invite my prayer team to go around the side and all across the front. You need to get it out. Find someone to pray with. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to the loved one that you came with today and said, I need to get get this out today. We have tables of communion representing the, the suffering of Jesus, but also the purpose of Jesus being broken for us so that we can receive healing and walk with him in dealing with sin. Maybe for you it's a new walk. You've never received Jesus, but you're like, I need Jesus. Receive him today. Let's take some time to respond to the word of the Lord. Let's move in some way as the worship team leads us.